The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-1738. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 Podcast Network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, wishing you the happiest of holidays on a Monday here from Tallahassee. As most of, most people have left campus by now, after classes wrapped up last week, everyone got their finals out of the way, uh, and we introduced a new graduating class, including myself, uh, the graduating class of 2021 uh, here at FSU, and I am so proud to say that I graduated not only with my fellow uh, Florida State Seminoles here uh, in 2021, but I get to be graduating in the same year that Meg the Stallion graduates from her <laughs> college. Kind of crazy that two two icons of their time, to be sure. Uh, but oh man, you corny! <laughs> so everyone's left by now, but not us. Your dedicated journalist here covering the latest and greatest in FSU sports, and from around the country and around the world in general. As you'll you'll learn later tonight, we we start talking uh, international sports. A uh, little racing going on. Uh, a lot to get into for sure from this last week, and we will break it all down for you here uh, in a December edition of Tomahawk Talk. But first, joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? You know, it's <clears throat> post-finals at last. It yes. seems like a whole different world now with, with classes being over, but first of all, congratulations to you and so many other graduates. Thank and, you, uh, thank you. My freshman roommate also graduated and is now moving to Hawaii, so shout out to Jared Oh, Libby. wow. He's uh, departing Tallahassee pretty soon. so He just graduated and he's already retired? It's kind of crazy if you think about it. <laughs> you think about it, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's kind of sad seeing a lot of people leave town. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it went by in a, in, a, in a flash, to be honest. I remember being here three and a half years ago starting up here in the fall semester of FSU and how time has flown to be sure, but you know, before we can reflect on that all we want in the, in the next coming weeks and so, uh, but also joining the panel tonight, uh, a little throwback to the summer editions that we had at, of Tomahawk Talk here, uh, Sebastian Andriano joining us on the panel. Sebastian, how you doing, bud? Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's good to have, uh, good to be back on the show. I mean, I was here as co-host a couple weeks ago. I couldn't just stay away. Um, but man, what a throwback! Skeleton crews, as we called them here. Right. Um, just uh, it was a really a different time. I mean, everything here was shut down. But each Monday night, you had something to, to look forward to. You would uh, come in, ma- you would be masked up, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, everybody was, you know, in their own room safely. But you still got to see someone else through a window at the very least when we were t- going on um, during uh, 2020, 2021. And then when you kind of took the reins, uh, Luke, um, you know, we still kept our due diligence, but it was a little more relaxed. Everybody had been vaccinated and every- um, fully vaccinated. Um I, I have to say I don't really miss the skeleton crews. I miss having a big fleshed out crew with a bunch of uh, bright eyed panelists that are ready to give the best takes that we can give. Um, <laughs> but uh, except for Max, come on, man! Like, <laughs> the Taysom. The I, I still can't get over the Taysom. Taysom, Taysom I, I enabled that. I, it's like it's like survivor's guilt, but also like I'm guilty of enabling that. Yep. 
Man. Unbelievable. But, you know, thank you, Sebastian, for joining us. And you're, you're right. Uh, as, as great and as much as we want uh, everyone a part of V89 to be back, there, there is a subtle peacefulness to, to having a skeleton crew just coming in here on a, on a slow Monday when no one else is in the building. And parking being, was amazing. And parking is always amazing, <laughs> parking in, was amazing in those times, especially now that no one, like, no one's on campus no one, anymore. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. But, yeah, really, really nice way to kind of kick off the – the Christmas break for everyone here around Florida State. Um, I got to watch the, the season finale of Succession yesterday. Just amazing. Best TV show on right now. One of my favorites of all time. Um, but enough about that. Also joining us on the panel and calling in from wherever he's at. I don't even know where he's at at this point. Uh, Jack Oliaro. Jack, how you doing, bud? And he might not be available for us right now. Uh, that's perfectly fine. But, um, oh, wait. Oh, Jack. Yeah. Jack, are you there? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry about that. I, we, we, had, we had technical technical difficulties, <laughs> and by technical difficulties, I mean I did not have the phone volume on for you when I was introducing you. So, Jack, how you doing, bud? I am doing good. Uh, I am calling from Orlando, Florida, to be more precise. And I'm looking forward to doing the show to say doing the show today. A lot of uh, a lot of good sports from the weekend and this coming week. So, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Jack? We'll start off uh, right with something that didn't even happen this last week. It happened last Monday after we went off the air after previewing it. Uh, we went off last air, the air last week talking about what we thought might happen uh, in the NCAA Women's Soccer Championship out there in Santa Clara between Florida State and BYU. Uh, all the possible scenarios, how we think the game would play out if FSU were to win, if they were to lose, what we actually thought was going to happen. And in the end, none of those predictions were correct because, in fact, Florida State, who ended up winning the national championship for the third time in eight years, uh, had to do it via penalty kicks again for the second straight year in the national championship. Uh, they break open a 0-0 a score after regulation and overtime. They eventually went in penalty kicks. I believe it was five or sorry, uh, four goals to three. Yes, sir. In penalties. Uh, and FSU are national champions again. So, Jack, I'll let you start off with, with what you saw from that game and, and what your reaction is to FSU capping off another outstanding year as the number one team in soccer uh, with a championship to back it up. My, oh, my. What a it – was a, it was a tough game to watch uh, as someone who does go to Florida State. Um, it was really nervy. Um, both teams proving why they deserve to be there. Um and just one of the biggest collegiate annual events for women. And uh, what a treat it was. Uh, FSC looked down the barrel again, going to penalties. Um, it had all the action, all the drama that you wanted. Uh, but eventually, uh, Florida State did come out on top in penalties, avenged the demons. And uh, Christina, sorry, uh, Christina Rope came out on top uh, with two saves to um, the BYU keepers, one. And Guan Yu Zhou put away the winning penalty. So is this a dynasty, guys? Are we calling it a dynasty now? <laughs> you certainly you could argue it. I mean they I mean the proof is in the pudding. They've been there time after time after time. The one knock on them was that they hadn't actually won it since 2018 and and only won two uh in this last decade despite being always there. You feel like they they should come away with more than just two uh if you're going to be there as as often as they were, but they get the they get the win there third and eight years just an out you know, we talked about it on air last week all the accomplishments that this program has has accomplished, Gabe. But um, just get your initial reaction and and 
what stood out to you from from Florida State's grinded out style of victory uh, over BYU, and just of course it had to go to penalties again. Well, the only thing that stood out to me was how horribly wrong I was about my prediction. I <laughs> I thought I was gonna have a lot more goals, a lot more action, and three 0 was nowhere near near the 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 right. realm of possibility throughout the game. It seemed like it was gonna go to penalties for most of the game. I had a feeling that there would be one goal late in the game to just kind of throw in some sort of dramatic dr- dramaticism, um, but the drama waited till penalties where um, Florida State was finally able to put their demons past from last year, which, I mean, every Florida State fan can rejoice in that, even though the game didn't really, it wasn't aesthetically pleasing, it wasn't really entertaining. There was some controversy with, with some of the decisions yep, by the yep. referee, especially with Jalen Howell kind of being partnered in that, that second yellow card. I, I thought that was a huge gift. Uh, that would have easily turned the game around. But even with Yui Zhao's penalty kick, it seemed like it, it was borderline, you know, illegal. Yeah. <laughs> but needless to say, um, I think Florida State was the better team throughout the whole 90 minutes. I, I, I thought for as many chances as BYU had, Florida State still was in control most of the game. And they, they just seemed like the better team. And, and sometimes... It doesn't seem like that on the scoreline because that's how soccer is. That's how football is, whatever you want to call it. But in the end, Florida State is champions, and, and rightly so. They've been one of the best teams for two, three years now, and, and for them to finally be able to say they're, they're world champions, they're college champions, uh, I think it, it's, such a, it's such a good way to send off some players. But something I didn't really know after, uh, until after the game was that some of the players that are on this team that are seniors are actually thinking about coming back because uh, that COVID year that they, they that they could potentially throw out there. Exactly. Yeah. So the dynasty that, that we thought was kind of coming to an end, at least this, this chapter of, of so many great players, it might continue, which would be really advantageous for them. I, I think they're the odds-on favorites for next year as well. So that's something to look out for. But uh, once again, Florida State is a factory. Mark Coyne is easily the, the second or, or probably the best coach in, in, in women's soccer today. So... Uh, Florida State soccer is not going anywhere, and I'm I'm honestly just really excited to see players like Maria Alagoa and and Beata Olson to continue Emma Emma Bissell if that's how you pronounce her name uh, to continue to to shine and and Lauren Flynn she was the the freshman center back from last year that that came in after re- senior Malia Berkeley the ACC Defensive Player of the Year uh, went to go play pro after she graduated she's she's been magnificent she was honestly one of my favorite players to watch that game and. Um, she's going to have to take an even bigger step if Emily Madrill doesn't come back. Um, but Florida State is just absolutely insane once again. Absolutely. And, you know, Jack, when you're looking at this game and, and how it played out, um, who are a couple of players, if even one player that kind of stood out to you as, as being the deciding factor for Florida State uh, in their eventual uh, national championship win? Uh, my player, uh, my player to look out for was or was Christina Roke. Right. Uh, obviously, the goalkeeper seems like it seems like an obvious choice to have uh, you know uh, who to watch for. But uh, in a game last year that came down to penalties, it always gonna it's always gonna come down to the goalkeeper. And Christina Roke made her stops when she needed to. Uh, I believe there was a chance where she had to make two saves back to back late in the game and regular time, and it really saved uh, Florida State's butt there. But um, and then again in penalty, she came up when she needed to. Um, everyone really playing their part. I don't. I mean, obviously you can look at one player for the championship, but this is a culmination of just a lot of players coming together. Jalen Howell, uh, Beta Olson, Joey Brownlee said the forwards were 
really on top of the game. And while they couldn't put anything past them, uh, like Gabe said, they they controlled most of the game. They had what they needed to, and they didn't let the demons get them this time. It was a game where we said it wasn't going to be BYU was going to win. It was going to be either FSU is going to lose this game on their own or FSU was going to take it by the throat and win. They took it with the last possible resort, and that was penalties. And Christina Roke made the difference. Two saves going uh, either side, left and right. So, yeah. And considering she's only a sophomore, too, she'll have plenty of years to exactly. come for the Knowles. So, fun thing to look forward to. And yeah. especially with all those other players who, if they decide to stay, odds on favorites again, of course. Exactly. And, and the whole tournament, they didn't allow a single goal from open play. I think there was one penalty. <laughs> in like the second round but other than that they didn't allow a single goal like as impressive as that is uh, I don't think it's it's being talked about enough so it, it really is a testament to how impressive this defense is and who knows who's going to come back but either way I think Marker Corrin is is proved once again that he's the the top of of the the coaching table and women's soccer and I mean I can't wait to watch him next year so yeah well, well going back to it one more time though uh you know you, Jack you talked about FSU and how uh, if BYU were to win this game, it would have to be FSU kind of kind of losing it. Mm. Do you feel like BYU had a, had a legitimate gripe with the ga- with the way this game was called towards the end there, especially in extra time and uh, penalties? Uh, they, they definitely had the chance to, but I don't know. It just it felt like Florida State was a better team, and if yeah. if BYU was going to win, there there are teams you can become it when you are an underdog. Sometimes it's a matter of who wins and. Um, and who loses, not so much. I know it's plain, plain, plainly saying that's pretty dumb, <laughs> but Florida State was the favorite. It was in their control, and it stayed in their control. If BYU was going to win, it was going to be because of a crucial error at the back, which, by the way, to be a little nitpicky, the defense made some errors I hadn't seen all year, uh, and you don't want to see them in the championship, but I had not seen them all year. There was just a missed or off-target pass that BYU pounced on, and again, Christina Roke made sure that those didn't go away and put them up, but just overall, just a great game, and overall for the season, a terrific defense, probably the best defense I've seen in uh, collegiate women's soccer. I'll say this. I think we're going to talk about even bigger controversy on the next topic of, of, of the oh, show, buddy. but before we get into that, I will say the yellow card on Jalen Howell should have been you know, given, and, and because of that, I do think that BYU definitely has something to say. I wouldn't really gripe too much about the penalty. I mean, penalties are just always controversial um, with either the goalie kind of stepping out of the line or, or whatever the case is. But as far as the second yellow card, she literally slammed her the, the opponent to the ground and, and just didn't even go for the ball. It seemed very careless from Jalen, which is uncharacteristic, and I think it, it has something to say about the intensity of the game, her, her stamina at that point. And, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's – that's what happens in soccer, and it's just one of those errors that the referee makes, and you have to live with those, and they can go either way. I mean, we, we haven't talked about the penalty that Florida State could have been awarded in the other side of the, of the field when um, I think it was Jenna who, who got tripped up. Um, so there's always going to be plays that you can look at and, and, and kind of blame the referee, and obviously being a Saints fan, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm forever going to be in that, that crowd. But um, in this case, I, I don't think – it, it led up to the whole game being decided by that point. So. Yeah. The scoreboard yeah. only says 1-0, or I'm sorry, four <laughs> penalties, and that's all anyone will remember. Exactly. There there you go, there you go. Well, one more thing before we, we transition to the next topic here, Gabe. Um, 
How big a, a, an impact do you think it had on Florida State to be in the same exact situation they were in last year mm-hmm. and, and how those penalties kind of affected this year's penalties? Because penalty kicks in soccer, from my understanding, it's much more uh, uh, of a psychological yeah. factor than any other uh, than mm-hmm. at any other point uh, when you're playing soccer um, competitively. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like having that experience from last year's loss kind of fueled them, and the execution in this year's penalties were much, much sharper. Yeah, it's definitely a technique issue, but also just as much, if not more, psychological confidence. And, I, I mean, when you look back at last year, the the team had been undefeated. They they were winning most of the game. Uh, well, not most of the game, but they, they, they got up to 1-0 lead. So you're thinking there's only four minutes left. You're going to probably win. And, you know, you're thinking about the, the, the parade and everything, and then obviously they get tied up. So by the time you're going into, PK, into PKs, you're like, this was not supposed to happen. And I think in this scenario, FSU had been playing tight games all the way through to the final. And they were prepared to, to go through thick and thin, thick, thick and thin, thick and thin, thick and thin, um, to, you know, win by any means. So with that attitude, I think they were, they were prepared to go into penalties and, and face their demons, which they did. But... It really came down to Christina, I think. Uh, she talked about it after the game. She she talked about how after the game last year, she felt a lot of confidence in her teammates, you know, showing her support even when they when, when they lost. And it, in a way, as a goalie, you can't feel but like you're the one that, that lost that game. But the reality is through that experience, I think she learned and she matured a lot. And we, we saw that growth throughout the season in the, in the playoffs as well before the penalties. So... I really do think that that it comes down to learning from that experience and and being able to just be super confident going into the game, knowing that they they're willing to give it all they have, and they sure did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we go from one experience, and obviously, shout out to the women's soccer for claiming their third uh, national title in eight years. But we go from one's experience in in losing close games and stuff like that to another uh, in the racing world. Max Verstappen in the F1 series. Wins the F1 championship yesterday uh, at Abu Dhabi, beating out arch-rival Lewis Hamilton on the final lap uh, in the race. And Gabe, I'm going to give you the floor to kind of uh, talk about this. You know a lot more than I do, and Sebastian, you as well. Um, what were you guys' initial reaction to seeing Max Verstappen finally win uh, the F1 championship? I would like to say I think we have four F1 experts on the show tonight, so Ew. yeah. <laughs> we have four experts on top of the table um but i mean once again how much do you want to blame referees how much do you want to blame officials that's up to you but at the end of the day i think when you look at this race you can't help but feel like hamilton got robbed and i know there's max Verstappen fans out there that will say otherwise but hamilton is winning the whole race the whole race and it comes down to the final lap and Basically, Mercedes didn't make a decision that they didn't think they had to make because they couldn't look into the future and see that another driver would crash and force a safety car to come into play. And even then, the FIA didn't follow rules with how the the, the safety car would would play out because usually you let all cars in the race play out and, and just go for it. But no, they only allowed five cars. And because of that, Max um, had the softer tires and, and he ended up winning. I... I think, uh, Jack, you can probably talk a little bit more about this, but I just think that if Max were to win this, 
he should have won it the right way. And, and obviously it's not his fault, but it, it just seems like the worst way that I could have seen him win. Is Am I wrong for thinking this? Uh, there's better ways of this going about. But my thought is that um, the, F, the FIA was put in a tough position. And let, let, I'm going to be clear to everybody. FIA, the FIA has been... Uh, has been criticized all season, and rightfully so. They've made inaccurate calls. And I'm going to uh, give you one from the beginning of the race on lap one where you start off the race, Max and Lewis are, you know, front of the front row. Lewis gets off first, and he has the lead. And then going to turn five, Max, on softer tires, goes on the inside on Lewis Hamilton. And then he forces Lewis He completes the move, passes Hamilton on the track. Lewis Hamilton is, quote, forced wide. And he says, well, he pushed me off track. And then he takes a shortcut and actually takes the lead, gaining a lasting advantage, something that I was arguing is not right. Max said he should give the position back. But what the FIA ruled is that um, that he, there was no action necessary and that they continue on as is. And that does matter because if you have Max in the lead, that changes the whole trajectory of the race. Lewis had to lead most of the race, and I think that was a bad call. Now, in terms of how the race ended, I'm going I'm to paint a little bit clearer. Lewis is leading comfortably. Uh, I believe it's like 12 or 13 seconds. It's a very comfortable lead. Then Nicholas Latifi of Williams uh, really bends his car uh, into the side there. By the way, Williams is part of the Mercedes team, so it's not <laughs> like it's an inside job or anything like that. Anyway, this forces a safety car, a much-needed safety car, to clean up the wreckage, and when a safety car does, it bunches everyone up. So that 13-second advantage is disappeared. It's gone. So Max is right behind Lewis or at least he's supposed to be. The problem is there's a bunch of lapped cars, and generally what you need to do is get the lapped cars out in front. Was the procedure right? No, it wasn't. They should have probably let all the cars go through. However, are you going to end one of the greatest Formula One championship fights on a safety car? I, I, I... That would be an ending unlike I, any other. I, I, I wore a Max shirt yesterday, so maybe I'm not <laughs> the right person. You know what's this, funny? But um, you gotta look I know you can't let everyone through, but I know, and I know you can't. You can't make more laps. It's not like NASCAR where they have that other rule. But um, green white checker. Yeah, the green white checker. But um, they did what they could. Max, uh, Max, you know the lap, the cars got on the way. Max was in second, softer tires on Hamilton's rear, and then he makes the move on the final lap. Uh, probably one of the greatest moments in Formula One history. Is it controversial? Yeah, but like I said in the last topic. Is that going to be remembered? If you're real, if you're a Lewis diehard, yeah. But is anyone else going to remember? If you're English, no, really. Max's first mate is maiden world championship and a one that was well, well deserved. I think there were a couple calls throughout the season that went Lewis's way, in my opinion. And I think it's only right that at least one doesn't go Mercedes' way, if that's what they think. And Toto Wolf, the Mercedes um, uh, team principal. Uh, just complaining the entire time during that last lap really annoyed me, and uh, I, I really lost respect with a lot of a lot of what they wow. do there. Lewis Hamilton though took it like a like a pro. Yeah, he did took the loss on the chin, and well, Max wins his first championship, and well, the rest is I guess gonna be gonna be history. Not enough time to do that quite yet. Sebastian. Well, it should be noted that Toto um, and the Mercedes AMG racing team decided to drop their initial uh, decision to appeal to the Court of Arbitration of Sport uh, mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, the the ruling as uh, Max's world champion uh, today. 
I think the, uh, the report coming out also was that uh, Lewis was requesting that they do so. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's true. But. It does remind you a lot of 2007 specifically, but um, mm -hmm. ultimately, yeah. you know, um, my thoughts on this season and... Um, you know, historically, I've been the voracious Formula One viewer here, right? <laughs> I mean, I had to lobby hard just to get two minutes of airtime uh, a couple of years ago under different directors just to, you know, talk about what was going on during the season. And a season that, um, as exciting as this one, probably the best season since 2016, um, I would say, or three quarters of the way through 2018, when Sebastian Vettel was still in the contest before he crashed out in Germany. Um, I missed uh, my fair share of races. The ones that I managed to catch, though, were, seemed like the ones that caused the most, most chaos. Um, I mean, you, all you need to lo look at is the um, the British Grand Prix, um, where Lewis, you know, kind of punts Max Verstappen into the wall um, and immediately triggers like a 50-point swing and the, uh, the championship. Um, racing is about having the best car, the best driver, um, trying to get the most out of both. And uh, at the end of the day, luck will determine what happens with your race because you can do everything right. And I can point to a million different stories in motorsport of people doing everything right and still losing. Um, Toyota 2016 Le Mans comes to mind. Um, that doesn't mean anything to you guys, unfortunately. <laughs> but... Um, it is really, it really is that, and this this race was one of those examples of of a team doing everything right, um, apart from that questionable lap one decision. But that always happens in lap ones. Um, you know, if you watch three races, one will, uh, one turn one will be will cause at least two DNFs. The other one will cause a uh, an investigation that the FIA will look at for twenty minutes, and you're just wondering what's going to happen with it. And at the end of the day, nothing happens, or it's a slap on the wrist, and it doesn't matter. Um, and then there's the rare time where everything goes right. Um, it's not really a matter, like, that's what happens. Like, fate ultimately decided that race, and it it finally went Max's way. Um, my race, for me, the race was, like, yes, the, um, the outcome of the championship is what really dominated that story, but I'm really sad, actually, at how... It ended for a ton of drivers in the back half of the grid, specifically Antonio Giovinazzi and, um, Kimi. and Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, Kimi. Um, Kimi, for as long as I've been alive, really, or at least conscious about <laughs> racing, Kimi's been there. Uh, Kimi was the reason I, I frankly, I, I tuned in because I don't really have a dog in the fight. Uh, my favorite team, like in my college years, has been a backmarker and has not mattered. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when it comes to that, uh, you root for the drivers and I will always root, I'll root for, uh, Roman Grosjean first, then I'll root for Kimi. Um, cause Kimi, so both Lotus drivers actually, interestingly enough. Um, but Kimi is just like, I'm going to miss him, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss him so, so much in formula one because he is, there, there is literally nobody in sports like him. It's this weird amalgamation of a party boy, um, Privately to the rest of the racing world, he's known as this like one of the biggest partiers on the grid. Um, he's like a Jay Cutler, you, you could say. <laughs> no, because he actually won things. <laughs> but um, no, it, like I, I wish him nothing but the best in retirement. And Antonio is the same way, where he's like he's a he's a solid driver. He never got like a fair deal. Uh, that Alpha was never as good as he um, 
but it it speaks to your character when you get someone like Kimmy to open up to you and like you a lot like he did. He had a very very special relationship with one of the uh elder statesmen of the grid. Yeah. But um that that's I, I wish we had more time to discuss it but we we got to move on apparently. Yeah, well we got to take a break real quick uh in the you know cutting it short the the first half here talking uh, F1 formula racing or for sorry formula 1 racing. Uh, in women's soccer, but we're going to take a quick break and be back for the second half to talk FSU men's basketball, some of their struggles that they have going on right now, and then recapping kind of the weekend that was in the NFL. But you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back for the second half here on Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Wrapping up the first half, joined by Gabe Tisnes, my co-host, uh, Sebastian Andriano, uh Jack Oliaro calling in for us, talking a little bit of F1 racing in the first half, and then Scott Clemens, as always, in the booth on the ones and twos. Uh, Jack, you're still with us, right? Still here. Uh, awesome, Sorry about awesome. Prior. Not sure what happened there, but yes, I am still here <laughs> and ready for the next half. Glad to hear, glad to hear. Well, let's get into a little FSU men's basketball now. We went off the air last week after FSU fell to Syracuse in, in a kind of a disappointing loss at home, snapping their winning streak that they had here at the Tucker Center against ACC opponents. Um, and then a week goes by, they don't play during the week. And then yesterday in Rock Hill, South Carolina, at one of these events that that are put on, uh, FSU men's basketball again falls to a, what we view as an inferior opponent. But is it time to start looking at FSU as as sort of just a middling team right now? Because they lose to South Carolina 66-65 in a game that goes down to the wire. Uh, Malik Osborne gets a great look from three to potentially win the game at the buzzer. It does not go down. And you really hate to see that because I know Malik Osborne is just right now he is carrying a much bigger load than he has ever had to before, and probably shouldn't be put in a position to carry this much, uh, based off of, of of what he's done in the past and kind of his skill set, his skill set. But he leaves the team with 15. Uh, again, beats himself up after the missed uh, three pointer for the win there. And FSU men's basketball falls to five and four on the year. That is three straight losses for the team now. Uh, to Purdue, to Syracuse, and now to uh, an average, at best, South Carolina team. Uh, so, Jack, I'll start with you uh, and your kind of observations from the game. Uh, why has FSU gotten off to such a slow start? Is it as simple as just this team and the pieces that were kind of thrown all together uh, to start the year still need to, to mold a little bit? Uh, so, we've been saying this is a young team, but you know we haven't treated them like that because we've been holding them to the standard of being an underrated top-tier ACC basketball school. And finally, you know, of course, the one year everyone finally respects what's going on in Tallahassee, the Knowles have a slow start. And that's what I think it is. It is a slow start. It's a lot of young faces, a lot of new faces. It's a lot of people you're trying to put together. And we're, the team's lost more games than maybe the fan base would like. The Purdue game was just how it is going to be, despite the fact that they just lost to Rutgers this past week on a buzzer beater. Uh, Purdue's the cream of the crop, and we knew FSU wasn't. Uh, and even other games, such as the Boston University game, came down to a Matthew Cleveland putback. Uh, the ACC opener against Syracuse saw the Knowles go 4 for 30 in three-point shooting. And and even in this game, 28.6% from three-point shooting. Uh, fun fact, exactly the same as South Carolina. And what I'm, what I'm just seeing is that this team's lacking height, and, and the big guys are either hurt, like Tanarin Gom, young, like Quincy Ballard, and John Butler, or not good enough to make the difference. Yeah. Um, so 
the good thing is you have those games that you have coming up, and that you get sort of Christmas break to figure things out before ACC play starts. But this has been a, this has been underwhelming to say the least, and at worst, disappointed, disappointing start. Yeah, you know, we, you know, evaluating the team and and kind of defining their skill set and what what that they can actually accomplish on the basketball court. Sometimes it feels like we're getting or we're having to shrink the stuff that they do well smaller and smaller and smaller. Okay, you can't shoot the three that well right now. Okay, well, let's try to get out and transition and get a couple baskets. Oh, well, they can't do that. Uh, it just seems like too many things are working against them right now to start the year. And they're like Malik Osborne is playing a Herculean role right now, uh, one that he probably shouldn't have been asked in the first place. But they're, in my opinion, there are just too many black holes on this team as Scott Clemens joins the program now. Uh, you have guys like Wyatt Wilkes that are providing literally nothing out there for this team right now. Um, so what have you kind of seen from from the team so far, and who do you think needs to step up and, step up and contribute? I mean, this is very much a Leonard Hamilton team of old. These, yeah. these are guys who uh, defensively can play really well and are going to... Ho- that and that are going to keep these games in contention. However, these guys don't they are struggling to find a rhythm offensively. And what has been the difference in past seasons where Hamilton has found success is that you have these guys who can play well offensively. You have the Terrence Manns, the Trent Forests, uh Scotty Barnes, Michael Snare, really old FSU basketball even, reference. Like I, I and, get that he was injured a bunch and inconsistent, but like even Malik Beasley provided or sorry, not Malik Beasley um I'm sorry. Uh oh, who am I thinking of right now? Uh from last year. Gee, I don't even know. My my MJ Walker. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, MJ Walker, for crying out loud. He provided a little bit more offensively. It just seems like right now you're not getting the production from Anthony Polite that you thought you were going to get to start the year, um, who needed to take a big step up if this team was going to continue at the pace that they were going at right now. Uh, and then Caleb Mills, uh, I get the effort. He's been solid, to, but they probably need him to have a little bit bigger of a role. And the, I, I just don't know, Scott. At the way it's going right now with uh, An- Anthony Polite uh, performing at the rate that he is, uh, Ray Qu- Raekwon Evans hasn't right. done well this season. Uh, Wyatt Wilkes also sh- struggling a little bit. You are going to need guys like Caleb Mills, uh, Cameron Fletcher, these kind of Cleveland, yeah, yeah, Matthew Cleveland. These guys to probably take a bigger role than what they are ready for right now, and that is really where uh, this basketball team is struggling. You've seen uh, in past couple of years, Florida State have these really strong senior leaders. And right now, that's just not, that's just simply not the case anymore. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah Gabe, you go. I, I think it, it comes down to the fact that the older players aren't able to replace the, the, the former players that have gone on to the NBA. And then the younger players, they're not as talented as the players that have come in before, like Scotty Barnes, who can immediately make a, an impact on the floor. And obviously, injuries are, are affecting this team. You don't really have much height. And then when you lose Nam, it just makes it even harder. So there's, there's the, the expectations have to change. I think we're, we're getting to that point, and it, it's, it's not ideal. But at the same time, FSU basketball wasn't always FSU basketball. So expectations can change for, for this little bit of the season. They can improve later on when, when, they, when they change and they, they show us that they can you know, be up there with the big boys. But for now, I, I'm just not really confident in this team 
going forward until I see something changing. Yeah. Jack, uh, I'll go to you on this. You know, Leonard Hamilton and, and FSU basketball, we keep praising the, the progression of their program. Uh, but at the same time, if you're going to play the game and you're going to be kind of a, a – a, industry standard for, for cranking out NBA prospects like Florida State has been the last couple of years, uh, that means you're losing a ton of talent from each in, you know each year uh, and having to replace that. And is it just the case where Florida State might have might have missed a little bit this year in terms of replacing that production? Because uh, not only are you having to replace it with unproven players, but those unproven players are coming from every which way of the country now uh, via transfer or, or anywhere uh, and having to, to gel together while finding their own stride, uh, you know, athletically. So that's a problem, right? Oh, it is. But I don't want to put – I mean, I don't want to change ex- – I don't think expectations should change in December. Uh, expectations will change when you're midway through January and you've had some ACC games under your belt. I want to see how this team does under the bright lights in one of the best, generally, the best conferences in basketball. Understand that I understand that the ACC is not looking good this year and that this team is part of the reason why the ACC is not doing well. They were ranked number two in the preseason ranks, and they haven't looked they haven't looked good. No one's looked good in the ACC besides Duke. And the only bright side I see is, is that so the past two losses were buzzer beater misses. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're close. To, you're in the games. You're not getting blown out like you were Purdue, but we knew that going in. They're on a three-game losing streak, though, for the first time since, you know, mid-January of 2019. And you got, you know, you got your lips coming, UCF and UNF coming up. And I don't want to call this team and change expectations now. I mean, if you had this team going to the ACC championship and going to Sweet 16, you're already a little over your head. But I don't want to say this team's not even going to make the tournament, but we just have to see more games, and that's tough to just wait and swallow, especially during this weird uh, period of basketball in college basketball where you have this sort of like Christmas time where it's like you slow down a second before the big rush. I want to see how they perform these next three games before Christmas, and then we can make a better assessment once we're in mid-January. If you want to call this team over, if you want to change the expectations of the program, do that then. Not but, but But with these next couple of games, they're not really formidable opponents, so then... No, they're not, but if you, it's not so much you're going to gain something and it's not going to show up on the scoreboard. It's not going to change our expectations. There's things that maybe internally that could happen in those games, mm. but I mean, you're not going to gain anything off Lipscomb or UNF. Maybe something against UCF. I mean, UCF beat FSU last year, but um, I just I want to wait till January before we say anything too drastic or want to draw too many conclusions or like on social media, just write us off and say we're a basketball or I'm sorry, a soccer school. We are a soccer school, but <laughs> I, I still respect that. Don't belittle us. No, I, I think, and Scott, you can kind of touch on this if you want. I think sometimes with with the basketball program, you know, especially especially in college basketball, but also in the NBA to some degree, sometimes when a team is struggling on a, it, I, you can draw this back to baseball too. Sometimes over analyzing every single game that they play because it's a it's a larger sample size than in football. Sometimes overanalyzing every single game that these teams play uh, can be a detriment to both your expectations and the way that the team is perceived from the outside. Because sometimes I feel the best remedy for that is kind of just take a step back and, and evaluate during stretches of games rather than breaking down each game and pointing out what was wrong and not letting the uh, teams develop along the way. 
Yeah, uh, certainly. I think, you know, in college football, we uh, are used to having every single game matter. You know, uh, Alabama's loss versus Texas A&M mattered. Um, Michigan, uh, Michigan State's loss over Michigan mattered. Every single game matters, and you can really psychoanalyze that. However, in college basketball, since the season is so much longer, you can't really do that. A one team single loss is not going to matter nearly as much and is not going to have as much playoff implications simply because the seasons are so long and it's a 64 team postseason. Yeah. And that's just you you have to operate by a different standard when talking about college basketball as opposed to college football. I, I do think that it's probably premature to say that the expectations need to be changed, but I'm, I'm jumping the gun for a reason. I, I I don't really see the team improving throughout the season in, in, in route to, you know, being in contention for what they should be. And, you know, obviously they have to make the tournament. That's a must. If they don't, then there's some serious problems that uh, we're not even talking about right now. But I do think that the Sweet 16 is something that is not out of the realm of possibility based on what we've seen the last couple of years. And the way that they're going right now, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And for, for me, that that's a problem. So... And that I'm I'm selling my stock on FSU basketball for the time being. I am willing to pay it back, but for now it's it's gonna have to go out of the door. That's that's what I'm saying. Maybe the best thing is just to take a step back, let them play these three games against Lipscomb, UCF, and UNF. Let them get you know, it's a, it's a huge it's an even bigger problem if they lose one of those games. Exactly. Right? We're not gonna pay attention if they win. That's the standard. But if they lose, then we can reevaluate and and judge them from even there. Jack, do you think they go three and zero over these last uh, couple games? Um, they better. <laughs> Maybe losing to UCF. Yeah, they, they play UCF. Possibly. Like I said, they lost them last year when the team was really decent and made the uh, made the Sweet Sixteen. So the other two games, though, I mean UNF does their annual you know butt whooping, <laughs> and uh, let's come. I, I don't mean to be mean, but I don't know where that is. Yeah. So, they should go three zero. That's the expectation here. But do I, I think they go two and one? Maybe lose to UCF again. And if they lose to Lipscomb, or or they lose to the UNF rather, uh, expect a a hammering of this team next time you, know, you tune into the show. Yep, that is correct. There you go. Well, we'll we'll move on to to NFL Week fourteen now. Uh, recapping that, we'll tune into to FSU basketball and reevaluate later, I guess. Uh, but for the NFL this week, game of the week, we start uh, down in Tampa, Zoom where in. the Bucks hosted kind of the reeling Bills. Now they're coming off an emotional, emotional Monday Night Football loss that we talked about on air last week. Uh, Bills lose after Mac Jones throws it three times, three times in the frozen tundra that is Buffalo, New York, uh, last Monday night. Well. That's why the Bills boys <laughs> practice in that snow. The Bucks capitalized on the Bills reeling right there. They jump out to a 24-3 to first-half lead. Uh, Leonard Fournette's running the ball, had a 50-yard touchdown. Brady hooking up with Mike Evans for a touchdown. Just everything clicking the Bucks' way in the first half. Uh, and it looked like the Bills were getting ready to just kneel over and die, let their season just completely collapse like that. But to the Bills' credit, they jump right back in the second half. They get a couple of huge third-down stops against Brady on passes that he missed. Uh, and Josh Allen becomes the Josh Allen that we have come to expect and rallies his team back into the ballgame. They tie it up, and we go to overtime. Uh, and then 
that is all she wrote as the Bills get stopped on their third down. They punt it to Tom Brady, and he makes them pay with a 60-yard strike to Brashad Perryman for the game-winning touchdown in overtime. Sebastian, now back on the panel, talking about this Bucks team, and I guess this Bills team to some degree. Uh, that's one of the most electric atmospheres I've seen at Ray J in, in quite some time, at full capacity there. Uh, how awesome was that game yesterday? It was... Um... It was a tale of two halves, to to say the least, for me personally. I mean, I am wearing a Buccaneer jersey, as many of you know. I'm going to rep my region, but um, that first first half was elation, and and I felt something that I hadn't felt um, that I I hope to feel eventually, truly, completely one day, and that's uh, you know the Bucks are stomping a you know an AFC contender into the ground, and what I'm seeing is a ton of cheering. For the Bucks and the every time the Bills have possession, it's it's pretty quiet, right? And I'm like, oh my God, did we as a as a fan base here in Tampa finally turn that corner, where it doesn't feel like we're playing, you know, um, eight eight away games and then you know four and or three and a half home games, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know the the roar like the the Buffalo crowd finally came back um, in that second half along with their team. Uh, to really push uh, the Buccaneers to the limit. Um, what I'm what I'm happy with is is the fact that we were able to or that the Bucks were able to stay into this stay in this game for so long. Um, you know, it became a, a a matter of trying to survive for a 27 to 24 outcome, and that wasn't going to happen. So um, it became a matter of of nailing the drive. Of all dudes, can I just say, of all dudes, Brashard Perriman. Of <laughs> all dudes. Uh, who knew that the thing that would have given the Buccaneers the edge was a dude that we let go from the alarm clock era? <laughs> from the alarm clock era. The ugly that alarm is, clock. Years. Yeah, that that is not a bright spot in Buccaneer history. There aren't, aren't many bright spots to begin with, but um, I'm I'm glad it was him. It 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 does. Now people are are gonna go. Oh man! Well then now um, you know with Arian saying that he's a very clear WR three right now. And that um, crowded, crowded wide receiver room. Uh, where does that leave Antonio Brown? Don't get it twisted. AB is a super important asset to the Buccaneers. He's not going to get cut. Um, he might not get extended. And he might not get paid next year because um, the Buccaneers have a pile of guys to pay. And starting one, with Chris Godwin. Starting with Chris Godwin. I was going to actually point to the to both lines. The, the trench guys that really, really matter. The trench guys that have bullied people into not running the ball until very recently when they figured out, hey, you might be able to run the ball against the Buccaneers. Yeah. Um, because they're, you know, that back line is, you know, running on, not running on fumes, but... If if one part of that Jenga pile um, gets pulled, and then it all can come tumbling down very easily. Um, the uh, with the the A B question, I think, is a little overstated. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gabe, really quickly though, uh, talking about the Bucks, they play the Saints next week. Sure do. It's a rivalry week. Bucks can clinch the NFC South. Uh, their first since I believe it would be two thousand eight. 2007, 2007 uh, it was the year that they played the, the Giants. Giants in the wild card game and lost. Yeah, so 2008 would have been the year. Uh, January of 2008 was the last time that they were division winners playing in the playoff game. Uh, how do you see that game playing out, man? I'm going to be very unbiased and say that the Bucks will probably win. <laughs> but I I don't know. I, I think there's something about the rivalry that the Saints 
they're going to try to surprise people once again as underdogs. But, um, I mean, there's only so much you can do against the the insufferable amount of injuries that they face this year. I mean, no Jameis, no Michael Thomas, offensive line shambles, defense shambles. And, you know, when, you, when you're playing Taysom Hill at quarterback, we're, we're not going to get into who Taysom Hill is, but, but we all know who he is. Um, he's so not Lamar. He's not Lamar. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's Simeon either. Yeah, we'll 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 see how that plays out this weekend. But Bucks get the win. Bills got a rebound. They they play the Panthers though, who aren't very good. Uh, Jack, speaking of Taysom Hill and Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, uh, do pretty big news yesterday. Cleveland beats the Ravens in Cleveland. But the big story of that game is Lamar leaving and getting carted off the field uh, with an apparent ankle injury. Uh, and this kind of just blows everything in, out, of the, out of the water in terms of the AFC North. Uh, all teams are now separated by just one loss in the record, uh, uh, in the standings. What's your read on this division? It's been ridiculous, to say the least, the AFC North this year. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what's going on here because... I mean, it's not in terms of like teams. It's like really the Bengals were the team who really improved and really put themselves into this. But they, these teams are just beating themselves up, and you're going to get wins, you're going to get losses. Like when the Ravens uh, lost, uh, beat the Browns, and then the Ravens uh, lose this past week. Um, it's, it's just going to happen every now and then, especially in a. You say it's a mess, but oh, it's a fun mess. I love messes like these. Division messes are what makes a local uh, football rivalries fun. So, so it, it makes the NFL, what it is, and the Browns, I mean, 24, I'm actually impressed with them. I'm not impressed with them. They only beat the Ravens by two with a uh, backup QB-led uh, Ravens, and I, the Browns don't look great. The Steelers don't look great. All of a sudden, I mean, every time you look on uh, the TV, uh, there's 12 teams, and almost everybody except maybe the Jags are in contention with the AFC to get a playoff slot. So, I don't know the duration of Lamar's injury off the top of my head. I don't know if that is news yet, and if it is, uh, someone could uh, remind me that right now. But if we don't know, then, um, well, the Bengals seem to have the upper hand in all this. They have a, have a pretty good schedule holding, getting into the end of this. The Browns just got to really hang off to dear life and hope the Ravens really screw up. And, hell, even the Steelers are still involved in this. I was so, about to say, I, I think real sick goes out there. They're, they are rooting for Big Ben and one last ride with the Steelers, no, no, no. <laughs> who are just out of it, too. But it's like everyone's beating everyone. The Bengals have blown out the Steelers and the Ravens, but gotten blown out by the Browns, who have beaten the Bengals and the Ravens, who have beaten uh, the Browns, who have, you know, the, and then you have the Steelers, who have beaten the Browns and the Ravens. It's just an absolute mess right now. None of those teams, especially, like, if, if the Ravens were without, without Lamar, I don't think any of those teams deserve to make the playoffs, to be honest with you. It's just been a, an entire mess, right, Gabe? I, I think the Bengals are the best team, yeah. but I don't know if they're going to win the division, and that's a shame because, <laughs> I mean, it, it just says a lot about the state of the division, and these are teams that, that they they really game plan for one another. They're they're always looking to, to compete with one another, even if the record might not say that they're, they're very competitive. And so with the Steelers, they have Mike Tomlin at the helm. They're always going to go for, for a fight with no matter who it is. And yeah. um, I think this is the year where, where the Steelers might finish fourth, which is wow. which is impressive because I think Mike Tomlin is still an amazing coach, but I think this is Big Ben's last year, which yeah. is kind of sad. But healthy. That's another thing. Whenever you see the Steelers not doing well, it's because Big Ben has uh, faced a, some sort of lasting injury. 
Which and, I think says about the Steelers. And TJ Watt's probably going to get Defensive Player of the Year, which is, you know, a pretty big achievement. Oh, what guy in Dallas? Micah Parsons showed up. CJ Watts, he's on pace to break the the sack record. Right. I, I, after yesterday and what I saw from number eleven in, in silver and blue, man, that was something special. I think TJ Watts up there. Miles Garrett had an unbelievable performance yesterday. He scored a touchdown, uh, and then Micah Parsons just absolutely dominating. Uh, really quick, Jack. Monday Night Football tonight, a huge one actually in the NFC West. Uh, Top seeded NFC team Cardinals hosting the Los Angeles Rams, I believe, uh, who are going to be without Jalen Ramsey uh, because of COVID uh, protocol. And Tyler Higby. Yeah, and Tyler Higby. So, Jack, what's your read on that game real quick? Give me a pick. So, you're you're telling me the Rams have their backs against the wall, and we've talked about this, um, you know, off-show, but um, the NFC West is a case of rock, paper, scissors, and I think the stat is known as that what is known is that the Rams have beaten the Cardinals in eight of the last nine games. So not rock, paper, scissors, Rams beat Cardinals. That's just how it's going to go. I think it's as long as you have even just outside of that dumb stat. Uh, Matt, Matthew Stafford is going to probably just uh, – the Stafford Cup connection is pretty handy, uh, especially if you're going to get in a fight with Kyler Murray and his guys. And I don't know if the Cardinals can sustain – they're doing i think a couple losses can come especially in this tough tough division even the seahawks are starting to get wins now so i'm going to say the rams come out on top in the uh rock paper scissors shootout here wow. in the nfc west wow i'm i'm still like geez man these cardinals get no respect what, Not more, at all. what more can you do you're, <laughs> Not at you're all. the first team to get the 10 wins on the season you know you played in the hardest division in football and you are pounding them into the sand like what more yeah. can you do? Uh, I, I'm not. This isn't. This ain't against you, uh, Jack, at all. But oh uh, no, no. Don't <laughs> worry. I'm. I'm just saying this kind of in general because, you know, when when we talk about the NFC um, carousel, when it comes to talking about the um, championship contenders, you know, you hear you hear Bucks pack, Bucks pack, Bucks pack. You hear that all the time. You you for every three times that I hear both of those teams, I hear the cards once. Yeah. Uh, it is. It the disrespect is insane. Kyler Murray is the real deal. They've got. He just got to stay on the field. He can't stay on the yeah. field right now. He's injured all the time. And Hop. Dan and Hop's injured, injured too. But the, like, there there are dudes. And so sure, sure, you can say that. But there are dudes who played division games without their top two guys, and they right. still want them. Absolutely. What the more Cardinals do you do, want? The Cardinals did not have Kyler Murray and DeAndre, and they went uh, two and one. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know. Meanwhile, you have the Rams, who I'm looking at, and Matthew Stafford has yet to prove to me anything. To be completely honest, in that Sean McVay system, a win tonight would go a long way in me gaining some confidence back in the Rams. But I don't see it happening because they're without Jalen Ramsey, they're without Tyler Higby, and they're facing a really, really good Cardinals team with Kyler Murray back in the fold. Uh, I got the Cardinals tonight. What about you, Gabe? I want to pick the Rams. I really do. I want to pick the Rams because it's better for the Bucks, <laughs> but I can't bring myself to it. I think the Cardinals are that good. I, I think the Rams are going to surprise people. I think this is where they, their their backs are against the wall. They need this win. They really do, and it's a win that will you know go go to show that they're actually still in, in contention. But um, I think the Cardinals are are in a really good spot here. I think they're playing at home. Yes. Uh, I mean, without Jalen Ramsey, it's going to be really tough. So. Cards by three scores, ten I, to thirty-one. You I know, think, I never I, do that. I think it's it's a, a game where the, the the Rams, they're they're back and forth, and and they don't win, but they feel like you know they were in it uh, for. So sort of like the Bills yesterday. Yeah, 
it's more of a moral victory as dumb as that sounds but you know yeah. uh, i i i think the cardinals win by I, I think we might be on on blowout alert Ooh. to be completely I honest with you i got um hey arizona you want to earn my you want to earn the national respect how about not be the most losing one of the most losing franchises in the history of nfl you want to shut me up how about win when they have, have if they win, they okay. So Jack, and four. What Jack do you want? will fully be on board with the Cardinals if they win tonight, and only that. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Sounds they've good. Won the, they've won the NFC Championship uh, sooner than the Chicago, your Chicago Bears have. That's for damn sure. Two <laughs> years. They won it with Kurt no Warner, post Rams Kurt Warner. All right, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a timeout Don't and disrespect and, Kurt Warner. Like no, that. I mean and no quit right there before it gets any uglier. Well, uh, that is all we have for tonight on a sort of pre-holiday edition of Tomahawk Talk live from uh, WVFS Tallahassee. Uh, from myself, Luke Hazen, from my co-host Gabe Tisnes, Sebastian Andriana joining us, and Jack Oliaro on the call. Uh, Scott Clemens back in the booth. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. We are going to be gone for next week and perhaps the week after that, taking a break for the holidays. Uh, we will be back after the holidays, though. might look a little bit different. We'll have some big news for you coming up in, in the next year. Uh, but from all of us here at V89 and WVFS, uh, we wish you and yours a safe and happy holiday uh, season. And as always, uh, you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.